0: Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Circe Podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Circe campus, you can text the word Circe to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. I'm not going to talk about the Razorbacks today because I don't want to, and uh, you don't either, so, uh, but great season, thankful for those guys, and um, we got a whole group of, of young people up here on the front, my left, they may fall asleep this morning, um, they've been up all weekend at a retreat, and so if you hear anybody snoring, don't think it inappropriate, they're just uh, sleeping in Jesus, so uh, this, we have one month exactly until Easter. And so, I want to encourage all of you to be inviting people. Statistically, people come to church more when they're asked than when they receive something in the mail or see a sign. Um, this. They, a personal invitation from someone who knows them goes a long way. And I just want to encourage you to uh, do that, to be reaching out, thinking about people that you might want to bring to church with you. Uh, this is a, a very important uh, season. There are people who will just come to church on Christmas and Easter. And so we want to uh, be an opportunity for somebody uh, to hear some good news uh, about their life and about the Lord on, on Easter. So, I ask and pray that you would join me in inviting people in our community. Uh, we have two services on Easter, nine and eleven. We've just backed the nine thirty up just to make room for traffic, and um, and to facilitate crowds. So we'll put out every chair we have and uh, make room for um, all of all of our guests. So thank you for thinking about that ahead of time. I'm going to start. A, um, you can call it a series if if you'd like, but I'm really just taking the next three weeks to point to Easter. I'm going to be sharing three uh, big stories uh, that were happening at the end of Jesus' ministry and um, leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection, which, of course, we'll celebrate on Easter morning, uh, and today starts that that day. It's very difficult to, to uh, narrow down three stories that uh, you love, but this is very intentional and thought out about the three that I want to share leading up because all of them have a point that we're going to build off of. And so I want you to go today to John chapter 11, and I'm going to be teaching today about the story of Lazarus. Uh, you've all heard it, but hopefully today we can just bring out some, some strong truth about uh, what Jesus was doing, not only for that family, but for every family here this morning. So let's go to John chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and this is what it, what it says. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. And he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother was Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now that's very important that that's how they've titled him. Verse 4, and when he heard this, Jesus said this, Sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Again, very important. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So, Lazarus was a very close friend of this family. I think it's important to get that. Jesus would have uh, put his feet up on their coffee table. This is a place where he would have eaten frequently, spent the night, found rest and solace, uh, been very much uh, himself and authentic with this group, Uh, could have, so to speak, let his hair down, uh, relaxed. I believe he laughed with them a lot. Um, They were a family who ministered to him. And so this is a very, very close relationship here. It's also, uh, the reason I point that out is because it makes it strange then to hear that once his friend was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days rather than Um, expediting and prioritizing um, this circumstance and making his way quickly to Judea. This would be like Robbie calling me and saying, hey, listen, my sister is dying. You got to get home. And me saying, well, I'm going to stay a couple more days in Branson because I can't get enough of this Dixie Stampede. And her going... Oh, there's going to be a stampede if you don't get home. That's what would happen. It's just odd. And so it shows us a mystery, a little bit of insight into how Christ is able to see from 40,000 feet uh, rather than what's just right in front of us the way that we typically uh, walk through our lives. So Jesus was so close to them that this message of urgency came to him as the one you love. And there's no need to call out his name. He knew who it was. The one you love is sick. And I believe, again, this was one of his best friends. To get to Lazarus, Jesus has to cross a lake and a valley and a mountain. And by the time the message arrives, Jesus knew that Lazarus was already physically dead. And as Jesus got closer, word gets to Martha that he's close and she runs to him. Now as she gets close to him, my mind's theater plays out. She's frantic. She's mourning. She's torn between I'm so glad you're here, and yet I'm so mad at you for not coming sooner. I believe it's, there's no professionalism needed. This is, this is a very heartfelt family, and she can be genuine. And so she comes out to him, and I think she comes to Jesus the way that a lot of us come to Christ with death and even the metaphor of death as it would play out in our lives in any way, the death of a relationship, the death of, of a career, the death of, of something in you emotionally or spiritually or financially, any death, I think her statement represents a lot of us, if not all of us in this room, in that she says, if only you'd been here sooner don't you think about that? Think about how many times in your life, and I give you permission if you need it, to think on that and pull that to the forefront of your mind this morning of how many if-only statements could you have made in your life. Lord, if you'd shown up two days ago, six months ago, a year ago, if only you had done that. And I think there's a lot behind that because this question is being pushed out of her from their relationship. So it almost has a, I thought you loved us. I thought we were closer to you, and yet, Lord, I could tell you a lot of stories about other people you've helped. I mean, you fed thousands, and you've healed the lame in in a city, all of them. And yet, when it comes to the one that you love, man, you're late. You're just late. And so this immediately gets dropped in our laps in the postmodern church to answer the question, how many if-onlys have we had and are we still in some way crying that out to God? If only, if only, if only you had been here a couple days, six months, a year earlier, then life would be different for me. And so Jesus says his response to her is, Martha, your brother will live. And she says, I know. I I know he's going to live in the last day when the resurrection takes place. And what she's talking about is theology. I know we're going to see each other again. I know that there's going to be a day and a time that's better. And isn't that what we as believers share with each other when we're going through our own death scenario? I've lost family members, and you have too, and people always have come up to me during those times and said, listen, you're going to see them again, you're going to be with them again, and I believe that. That's what believers do, and we encourage each other with those words of hope, and she thinks this is what Jesus is doing, is reminding her of good doctrine, but when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, what he is saying is, the resurrection is not an event. It is a person, and I am that person. I am resurrection. It is not something on a map. It's not, or it's, it's not something on a calendar. It's not something you can point at. It's not something you can hold in your hand. It's a person, and that person is me. Resurrection. So then the other sister gets word that he's close. And Mary, as you know, um, because they, they've, had, they've had tiffs before, but Mary gets word that Jesus wants to see her, and she comes out, and she's followed by a group of mourners. I believe some of those are family, some of them are friends, some of them are professional mourners, which was part of the culture. And Mary goes up to Jesus, and she's a little more demonstrative than, her, than Martha, and she falls at his feet, and she weeps, and she... Rehashes, recycles Martha's mantra, and she says, If only you had been here, my brother would not be dead. Now, I do want to pause and talk that out for a second because I believe this comes uh, to us at a right time because we can look at our world. You can even look at your own home and a lot of things. But if you just watch the news, you can muster an if-only statement. God, if only you'd get involved, there wouldn't be 10 million Ukrainians displaced. God, if only, you know, you would have helped us with the pandemic more than We wouldn't have lost so and so, or the church wouldn't have taken such a hit, or that church over there wouldn't have closed down, or man, we can constantly come up with if-only statements. And so maybe the reason I want to pause is because I want you to tangibly feel that in your life today, that you may be Mary and Martha in this story. And you may be weighted down and you may be saying, Lord. I feel like, you know, you loved us. So why did you wait? And if that's you, I want you to put that thought in a box and hold it because I'm going to come back to it in just a minute and speak to it. But when Jesus sees us, he sees us the same way he saw Mary and Martha, and he joins us emotionally and the reason I say this is important is because I think oftentimes we think of God as, as an all-knowing God, an omniscient God, or an all-powerful God, omnipotent, or an omnipresent God, the ability to be everywhere at all. We, we think of him in these ways, but we think of God to be so emotionally strong that maybe we view him as catatonic, like nothing moves him because he's so, he, he has no emotional fluctuation because he's God. But I'm going to tell you that God feels when you feel. He doesn't just see it all and know it all and can be everywhere. He feels what you feel. So I believe when you experience joy, it brings joy to him. When you're full of sorrow, he feels your sorrow. Now, do I say he's overcome by that and he's... He's just He takes on and owns the sadness? No, but I do believe he's empathic, and he feels it. That when you grieve, he grieves that with you. He's able to join you, and so I don't want you thinking there's this huge bridge or gap that has to be crossed between you and God. I think he shows up, and he feels it. He's empathic. He knows about it, and yet he feels that with you as well. Let me remind you of this, and occasionally I break out this little statistic um, because I think it's such a great reminder, but do you know that in a single grain of sand, I mean a single grain, imagine being in Destin and you pick up a piece of sugar sand, and that little piece of sand is 22 quintillion atoms. That is a 22 with 18 zeros behind it. Now, I'm sharing that with you this morning just to remind you that God is a God of the details. If he can make a piece of sugar sand that's got 22 quintillion atoms in it, then there's not a corner in your life that he doesn't see and you know about. He knows the uh, the details of your life, and he loves those details. It's the reason why he was not willing to let a little girl's wedding get ruined by running out of wine. And why a borrowed axe head floated. Because he cares about details. Um, so he's not emotionally detached. He's not unavailable. And what I want you to know is this. There's something very significant about this, this verse. Jesus wept. Because it tells us our God feels what we feel. The Bible even goes on further to say that something broke loose in Jesus, is one translation of it. I believe his heart on this is this. I believe he's thinking things like, This is not the way I wanted life to be. I believe he, say, he thinks statements like, I hate when this happens. To my people. I hate loss. I hate grief. I hate death of any kind. He's moved about the loss. He's moved about the death, and he enters into pain and joins his people with tears. And this is amazing to me. For some of you, this is all maybe that you need to hear this morning. Maybe this is the point of the message for you that you're not alone in sorrow or grief or pain. But you came here wondering, is there anyone anywhere who cares about what I'm going through? And the answer is yes. Jesus does. And he's strong enough to hold you. And he's empathic enough to cry with you when you can't seem to catch your breath or catch a break. So he joins us emotionally. Then he does something that is very difficult for us. Especially those of us that are following him consistently, is Jesus at some point in our lives is going to ask you to expose the dead things in your life. Okay. Now I'm going to speak for a second metaphorically, and so I don't want you to get your feelings hurt and think I'm being inappropriate speaking about the loss of of of, of loved ones. It's very holy, very sacred. And so, I don't want that to be upsetting to you. I'm speaking about, when I say dead things, I'm speaking about things that could be dead in your life. And so, Jesus speaks to this crowd and he says, I want you to take away the stone. And this comes with a, a commandment, he wants it done. He knows what's on the back end of this, but there's some willingness. Do I believe that Jesus could have said, stone, roll away? I do. But he had to get their involvement. Just like today, he's got to have your involvement on the dead things in your life. And he says, roll away the stone. And Martha, I think, comes up with her, her correctness, jumps in. And she goes, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um. Lord, can I speak to you privately for just a minute? Lord, he's been dead four days. I mean, the King James says, Behold, he stinketh. Okay? That's great, isn't it? You, you just can't make, make that up. Lord, if you rub a stone away, it's going to be bad. Like, don't, don't embarrass us. I mean, we... We love him. I mean, this is gonna be disrespectful. For everyone here to experience the stench of his death. Are, are, are you sure this is what you want? I mean, I'm I'm glad you're here. I believe in you, I trust you, but but whoa, well, can we just take a moment and make sure that this is exactly what have you thought this through? Behold, he stinketh. Then let me plug. A story in here and again I, I'm not doing this to be disrespectful I'm doing this to make, make the point but when I was a teenager this is going to shock you I wanted to be a cop and I had two of my best friends were twins and their dad was a cop and it's all we talked about was police work he had some of the best stories and... but for me I had a call of God on my life that I didn't know what to do with at 16 my dad wasn't a pastor Uh, My grandparents weren't pastors. I don't even know if I knew pastors, really. But I knew I loved the church. And so I got all these thoughts about, you know, what am I going to do? I got two years left of high school, and I kind of want to have a plan, but I don't know what to do with all this that I got going on in my heart and mind. And I was just wrestling with it. So at about the age of 19 or 20, and I decided I'm going to do a ride-along. Anybody know what a ride-along is? Okay, a few of you. Let me explain it. So I called my buddy, and those two boys that I was friends with are now cops. So I called one. I said, hey, man, I want to do a ride-along with you. He's like, cool, come on down. So there were cops in Little Rock, and I went down there, and I had to sign this waiver for my life. Like if something bad happened, I wouldn't sue anybody and I thought that was awesome. I was like, "This has got to be an indicator of the night I'm about to have, And I'm signing it, and I'm like, "What you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you papas?" And they put a bulletproof vest on me, which I thought was awesome, and I had. I mean, I looked apart. I was like, "This is going to be great." I sit in the car, first call of the night, first call was a dead body of a very sweet lady, I'm sure, that had passed away over the weekend. Nobody had come to check on her. And so for a couple of three days, she was just there, in her house, alone, gone, just her body. And we get to the house, and my, my, my buddy says, hey, we have to go, and we have to wait on, on the ambulance, but you're supposed to stay with me, and i got to go in. And I was like, oh, I'm going in. I'm thinking about being a cop. This is what cops do. I need to go in. So I go in, and it's terrible. Again, bear with me. This body, over two or three days, had become full of gas. And as they roll that body over, all that gas started coming out, and it sounded like a white noise. <laughs> And behold, it stank. It was bad. And I began to, oh, whoa, wow. And my buddy, who was the cop, was like, please, man, don't, don't be disrespectful. I'm like, I'm trying, man, but this is terrible. How do you do this? And I said, I, I, I got to go outside. This is so bad. There's just white noise and it stank, and it was awful. It was a terrible scene. And so right then, in that moment, I was like, Lord, here I am. Send me. I will do what you want. I will go. I will, I will preach. I will move to Africa. I will do whatever it takes. I'm going to be in the ministry. This is the point I want to make here. When you have something dead in your life it will fill your life and the environments you're in with white noise and it will stink. So if there are those of you in this room and you don't deal with the death in your life metaphorically, it will stink up your attitude, it will stink up your worldview. And you will come to church and you will try to worship, but it'll just be white noise. You'll try to be involved with people, but your attitude stinks and they will be, it will just be repulsed by you. Now, they may not tell you or make funny faces or walk out, but internally they're thinking there's something wrong with them. That whole conversation Stank. And you can be anywhere on the spectrum from a dead-end relationship to a dead-end job. And if you don't deal with it, if you don't roll the stone back and let him get in there and bring healing to your life, it will be an area for you that for years and years and years has decay and eats away at you. And it'll be a whole room in your life that you have to act like is not there. You will occasionally bump into it and you'll act like it's not there and you'll just keep walking around. It'll be the elephant in the room in your life if you don't roll the stone away. See, Jesus understands that for dead things to be exposed to life, they have to be exposed to light. And so we also roll stones in front of the things in our lives that are dying so that no one can smell them and see them and we can keep them hidden and under wraps and we can come with our professional Christendom and look great on a Sunday and say hello and get a cup of coffee and high five somebody and say welcome to church but inside you got a cave with a rock over it and something is in there that is dead. See, people who privately deal with dead things in their lives never see a resurrection. Um, Let me say it this way. When, When God calls you out of Egypt, that's a personal thing. But then he's got to get Egypt out of you. He's got to pull a culture and a way of thinking and a world. He transforms you through the power of his word and spirit. And to do that requires the church. It requires biblical community. It requires people of faith. It requires people who love you. It requires a Mary and a Martha and a crowd of people to come around you and push the rock out of the way so that the Savior can do something and help you in the process. This is what allows God to speak into our life. Third, this is all for the sake of Jesus to show his glory, okay? Now, a lot of times we get this confused. This is the same word glory that's in John chapter nine when he heals the blind man by putting mud in his eye. But before that, they see him as blind, and the apostles ask, Lord, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And he says, neither. The man was born blind so that the glory of God could be revealed in him. And that word glory is the same word as here, and that word is kavod, K-A-V-O-D. The kavod, the weightiness, the heaviness of God. And so Jesus says in John eleven fourteen. You remember that a few moments ago, I said, if you have that thought, put it in a box and we'll come back to it. So let me speak to that. John 11, verse 14 says, Lazarus is dead. Now leave the scripture up. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Woo. That's that's a little pungent. I mean, if, if I didn't know you, Lord... That would be mean and hurtful. That you're glad you were not here. But he's so far ahead of you. (laughs) He's, He's so far ahead in the process. As a matter of fact, there's some of you going through something right now. He's already a month ahead of you and six months ahead of you, and a year ahead of you, and he's working out things now that are going to impact you 12 months from now, and you're not going to know he was at work until you bump into it next March. And he says, hey, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad. Can can we be really strong? Let let me talk this out a second. What if I said something like, I'm glad I wasn't there when things fell apart because I'm going to sneak up on you with something awesome and I'm going to bless your life. And had I been there, it wouldn't be near as glory-filled as it's gonna be. I'm glad you lost the job. Because I got something better. You can't see it, but I'm at work. It's not fairy tales, it's not make-believe, make this isn't Hollywood. It's him at work in the lives Of people he loves, so that you may believe that the glory, the kavod, the heaviness, the weightiness of God can come upon you. Now, this word kavod means weight, and I want you to think about this. The imagery here would be that you're standing outside in the cold. And suddenly, someone throws a large, weighted, warm blanket over you. And without even turning around or asking questions, you know something's changed for you. You feel it across your shoulders. The temperature of your body changes. The weight of your body changes. Because of the weightiness of that example. This is what it is, that, man, you're you're in the worst circumstance of your life, but you feel the weightiness of God thrown over you. It may not change everything out here, but it changes you here. It lets you know, this is crazy, but this is going to be okay. My eyes are still seeing chaos, but there's a weight on my life that I can't explain. That's kavod. It's the heaviness of God. So if I wanted to give you some imagery here, I would say this. Imagine a scale, and you put everything in your life that bothers you on one end. Hurt, pain, disappointment, frustration, a circumstance, a person. On this end, you put the weight of God, and it will outweigh this side every time. The weightiness of God, the glory of God, the kavod of God can never be outweighed by something you and I experience. It's heavy. It's a good weight. It's a healthy weight. It's a confidence-building weight like everything's going to be good. It's strength that suddenly comes to your back and makes you throw your shoulders back and lift your head up. It's the weight of God. He loves to resurrect things. He's a fixer. The Bible says he's a finisher. And he loves to make himself heavy by resurrecting and healing and fixing. He loves to do it. Whether it's dead hopes or dead dreams, whatever you've got behind a rock in your life, he loves to heal you physically and emotionally and financially. This is what Jesus does when we bring him and allow him to have access to the dead things in our lives. I'm going to close with this. If you miss this, you're going to miss a huge kingdom principle. You've heard this taught almost every time you get to the story of Lazarus. But he commands the people around him, now you loose him and you let him go. There's there's a model here. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm going to do my part, you do your part, and all these other people will do their part. It's it's individual cogs that are at work in the process. It's like there's a you, there's a God, and there's a, a biblical community. All three play a role. I promise you, if we stopped gathering like this, your spirituality would get weaker. I don't even want to bring it up, but I would ask, I mean, how many of you struggled spiritually in 2020? You don't have to raise your hand, or maybe, maybe last year. Maybe you, maybe you stayed home for safety purposes or, or what have you, but for some reason, maybe you were like, I can't gather right now. Did your spirituality decline? There's something spiritual about us being together. Salvation is a very personal experience, very personal. It's one-on-one, you and God. However, restoration takes a family of faith. You can hardly find any Bible story, if any, of someone being restored fully, completely unto God without the help of other people. It requires a, a, a community, okay? Let me, let me close that. That'll make you feel better. I've shared this with you before. I'm gonna tell you this story, a little story again, silly story. When I was in elementary I was really, really skinny. And the only reason I succeeded in any sports is because I was, just, I was fast. I was just wiry. But I was tiny. Had no height, so I was limited there. Wasn't built like a linebacker. I was just speedy. But we used to play this dumb game called Red Rover. Red Rover, you hold hands across the line, and if you've never played this, number one, you're missing out. You're seriously deprived. Number two, you hold hands, and you call people from the other line to come over and try to break through you. If they break through you, they get to take somebody back with them, and ultimately, the stronger line just eats up the other team. Well, I was a weak link in that chain, and so they would break through me and take me over and then somebody from over here would break through me again and pull me back and I was like there are other people playing this game do you always have to break through me so I caught on and I found two big buddies one was Robert and one was David I said this is what I want from you guys I want you to hold on to me I want you to grab my hand my wrist my elbow whatever you and if you hear bones breaking do, do not let go I don't care what happens, just hold on. And sure enough, the tide began to change when I linked myself up to those bigger and stronger and determined as I was. They would try and come through, and it would hurt. But they would hold on. After all the dust settled of that game, I was still in the same spot. Why? Because I had surrounded myself with two people stronger than me who I had given purpose to and said, no matter what happens, do not let go of me. It's important. The church is important. The faith community is important that we surround ourselves with people who you can say, hey, you can talk to me plainly. You can. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you the hard stuff. You may roll some rocks away in my life and have to deal with a stench of some of the circumstances in my life, but we are friends. We are full of faith. We're in this community together, and, and I, I want to I be healed. I want to be whole. I want to I be all that I can be in Christ. Link yourself up to people who are stronger than you, who believe in you, who love you. I want you to bow your heads with me really quick this morning. You know, I have to believe that that there are people here this morning who have a recess of your life and you got something in there with a rock rolled over it and you don't want to talk about it It's dead to you. You don't even want to pray about it anymore. It hurts you. It bothers you. It has all kinds of if-only statements attached to it. But I believe the Lord's heart is to say, if you'll show me that, I'll speak life over it. If you show me that, I'll speak to it. And I could label it. I could take the next 10 minutes and label what I think is going on in you, but I'm not a prophet. You know what's going on in there. You know what's behind the rock. But you're here today and you say, Kevin... willing to roll the stone away. Regardless of the outcome, I have to see something I don't want to see, smell something I don't want to smell, deal with something I don't want to deal with. But it is a hurdle in your life to being transformed to the next level in Christ. Kevin, that's me. Will you pray for me today? You just lift your hand in this room. Do that? Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. 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 Amen. All across the room. Anybody else? I'll take a minute and just pause. Kevin, that's me. I'll do it. I'll roll it away. Anybody else? God, today the room is full of people who need a resurrection, not an event, but a person. Today, God, we give you every cave, every hole, every crevice, Shine a light in it. Heal people. Restore people. Let people move on. No more stink. No more white noise. Healing. Let your Holy Spirit right now begin to move things in our lives. Let something in our soul just break. Give us a hunger for completeness. Father, we just soak in your presence for a moment. If that's you today, just feel the weightiness of God on your life. Feel that blanket thrown over your shoulders. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you.